Welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta, here with Chris Dalglish and Steve Lamar. A bit later on in the program, I have the opportunity to chat with Bev Hadland, who is making a practical difference in the lives of Indigenous peoples. But to get started, we are going to continue our conversation on the book, What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church? by Sky Jatani. There are five sections in this book, and today we are starting the conversation into section number two, which is entitled The Family Meal, talking about the importance and power of communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, also known as the Lord's Table, so many different names to refer to this important part of our faith. And so where we are going to go today is with this statement, if Jesus was serious, then his table will confront evil and establish justice. I think this can be really hard for Jesus-loving, peace-loving people to confront evil. We want to bring kindness and we want to bring peace, but sometimes we do that at the expense of bringing justice into our world. And I do think that as believers, there is an important role for us to have in both of those areas. Having a peaceful attitude while also trying to represent the justice that Jesus wants to bring to the world. Yeah, this is uh, something I was actually just listening to a podcast out of uh, Central America where they were talking about the, the, the church in Central America which is growing exponentially, like compared to North America, like, you know, we're not growing at all. We're sheep shuffling over there. The gospel is just taking off. People are experiencing radical transformation at a church level, but the church is also heavily engaged in social justice in bringing the things the government or, or different bodies are imposing upon the people to restrict and to harm and to, to rob the people of freedom. The church is grappling with, is talking about, is they are there, they are supporting the protests and they are there supporting uh, the people in, in the times of, of, of need and of hurt. And they've taken that as part of the mission of the church. And here, we're not very good at that at all. We live in our little ivory towers. Uh, we gather on our Sundays. We might see each other in the grocery store and give each other a fist bump. But we don't grapple with with the same level of things that they grapple with. We're also living in a very comfortable society where our rights are not being infringed upon too much. Uh, some might argue that. But, you know, we have a, we still have freedom to worship here. We still have freedom to gather here. We still have freedom of speech in, in many ways here. But we aren't facing the same level of social oppression in North America that they're experiencing there. And that oppression has bred an incredible revival. And so we have to, as well, in North America, be willing to confront evil and be willing to call out justice. Justice for those who don't have a voice, justice for the marginalized, justice for the communities that are looked down upon. They still have rights and they need a voice. Jesus is that voice, inviting people to the table. So if we are serious about the communion table where everyone comes and everyone is equal, if we're serious about recognizing that that was Jesus's central mission to bring people to the table, to gather, to eat, to partake, then we also have to hear the voices of all those invited and to choose justice. 
rather than to choose to be comfortable and say nothing and do nothing. And through that, those that have been wounded and that those that have been oppressed can actually find healing. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing is that justice and confronting evil is not simply about calling out what's wrong. It's actually about being compassionate and bringing care and bringing healing to those that have suffered. Mm -hmm. And I know before we press record, Steve was just talking about how, how deeply that point about the wounded finding healing is just really kind of stirring his heart right now. So, so Steve, kind of what's, what's on your mind as you process this? Yeah, one of the things that really sticks out in this book that really speaks to my heart for some reason is that the word hospitality actually comes from the same Latin root word as hospital. And it really means a home for strangers. And I think that's something that we can really take away from this communion situation is uh, the church should be a home for strangers. And this should be somewhere that the community can work together to healing, sitting at the table together. When you're sitting there side by side and you are breaking bread, it is a completely different experience than when you're doing it at home alone. When you have a chance to be with someone you maybe don't know that well and you're breaking bread with them you have the opportunity to get to know where their hurts are you have the opportunity to walk beside them in their pain and in their suffering and it does become a home for strangers yeah and that's really like the scandal of grace right that everyone no matter who you are no matter how you frame your identity you're welcome to partake in that grace <laughs> how scandalous is that you know, in our society, the wealthy are so highly looked upon as their lifestyle being desirable. But at the covenant table, all are welcome. And everyone's life, lifestyle choices matters to the community. Not the individual, the community. And I think when you're able to bring that, all of your identity, and say, this is me. I can't change it. This is my past. This is who I am. This is the expressions and experiences I've lived. And then the community together can go, okay, you're welcome. Let's, let's talk. Let's think. Let's pray into all of these things that maybe are bringing you hurt. Identify the hurt. Call out the hurt. Pray for the hurt. And the, the crazy thing about a, a hospital is that once you've identified the hurt, then the staff can get to work on healing it, on using their knowledge to bring a satisfactory result, whether it's through medication or through physiotherapy, maybe even a surgery. And so the beauty of the church is that when you come with your hurt and together the community can identify that hurt, help you to understand that hurt, to bear some of the responsibility for that hurt, then we can start to heal it. We can start to go, well, let's prescribe something. Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's cry. Let's just silently sit and ask for grace. Or maybe prescribe a surgery. You need to remove these things from your life. These things are bringing you death. These things are causing you even more harm and we need to cut them out in order for you to, to grow.
in order for you to feel like you belong at the table. There's a difference between feeling like you belong at the table and knowing that you belong at the table. Sometimes you're always welcome at the table, but sometimes you might not feel like you belong at that table. The beauty of the table is that you're welcome there no matter how you feel. And so this is where the healing comes from. It comes from recognizing the table, Jesus and his sacrifice. It was for me no matter where I'm at, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter the sins I've done or the sins that have been committed against me. The guilt and shame is his and taken away, covered by his blood and by his sacrifice of his body, which he died and sacrificed for the church, for the united body of Christ. Come to the table, partake, heal. It's a hard thing for people, mm-hmm. especially when we talk and in, in we, we, the three of us were raised in a charismatic church where the word healing is almost always given to a, a miraculous a moment of something miraculous happening. But as I've grown and as I've journeyed more with, with friends who aren't raised in the same expression, healing is also thrown around as, as something that's deeply uh, spiritual and deeply psychological. We're focused on this physical manifestation of healing. But is there not also a need for spiritual healing, psychological healing? And that's where coming to the table, all of those healings are also welcome at the table. It also brings us to that thought that this actually radically changes the definition of what a pastor is supposed to be because they are not the person to be revered and like and to to have all of the honor going to and i'm not like i'm not saying we don't honor our pastors and give mm-hmm. due respect but they stop being the pinnacle and the the pl- the place that we're always looking yeah. they are an equal person at the table and they are there now to help serve mm-hmm. and to shepherd and to facilitate some of the healing yeah part of that means that they're going to lead the way in calling out evil yeah but it also means that they're going to lead the way in humbly helping apply the bandages mm-hmm. to to wipe off the wounds mm-hmm. and that is a very different position than what a lot of people have associated with just the person that gets up and talks yeah there is a deep work that is being done in in that place because we do need that kind of humble mm-hmm. Jesus-centered leadership in order to to facilitate these things coming to pass. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if if you don't look at it this way that if you're coming to church and expecting your pastor me to bring you a banger, right? It's going to be a great word. And you're waiting for my word to bring the healing, going back to the healing. You're waiting for what the pastor is saying to bring that healing. Okay, well, he's not talking about healing this week, so I'll just wait till next week. He's not talking about the thing that I need to perpetuate my healing this week. So I, I'm just going to sit in that. You see, that the pastor's job is not to point you towards that healing. is not to be the person bringing you that healing. His job is to point you to Jesus. My job is to point you to Jesus. My job is to bring you to the table and say, eat, 
partake. Know that this is where healing exists. This is where healing thrives. This is the this is the source. This is the seed of healing. Is that moment of of Jesus sacrificing for your forgiveness, so that wrath is no longer poured out upon you. It's poured out upon Him. So walk in forgiveness. Acknowledging that you are a child of grace. And so frequently we elevate our pastor. This is the person who provides the healing I need. This is the person that provides the meal that I'm going to consume this week. That's not the case. Jesus provided that meal many, many years ago. Your pastor's job is to bring you to the table and to remind you that that table exists. Something that I noticed too going through this, it's partially a question of who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the church you're attending? Are you worshiping the pastor that's in front of you giving you the words that you're living by? Or are you worshiping the one true God and following Christ? And I, I might step on toes saying this, but I think it is common in a lot of churches to worship your pastor. If Pastor A is not speaking this week, I'm not going because I like what he says and I don't like what this other guy says. Mm -hmm. If it's still biblical truth, it's biblical truth. And I think that's something that Sky is trying to point out here. If you're worshipping the pastor, you have completely missed the point here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're worshipping the presentation. Right? Yeah. This guy presents it the way I like it, therefore I, I receive his presentation versus... It, you know, looking at somebody who might be newer or someone who doesn't have as much experience as someone who's maybe not as much of an orator. You know, we worship that orator, which is weird, right? Like Bill Clinton. He was one of the greatest orators of our time. One of the greatest speakers, one of the greatest communicators. He would get up there and hold the, captivate the room. I don't want to be like Bill Clinton. <laughs> Let me just throw that out there. But he had a gift. And so many pastors have a gift. They can speak well. They can communicate well. You want to consume what they are presenting. But if they're not bringing you to the table and presenting you with the truth and framing that Jesus is the center of our faith, worship him and not me, not my words and not my celebrity, you're leading people to destruction. And that's the point. We are coming to the table of the Lord, all equal in the sight of God. We all have different roles in the body, but we are all parts of the body. And we can embrace this role of both confronting evil, but also bringing healing to those who have been hurt by evil. And someone who really exemplifies this quality to me is my guest today. So let's go to the interview. My guest today, Bev Hadland is a best-selling author, international speaker, and ordained minister with Anchor Ministerial Fellowship. And Anchor is uh, the organization that uh, Way Church is a part of. And so it's nice to talk to a member of our extended family. And Bev has a really cool job. She serves as the ambassador to the First Peoples with Crossroads Christian Communications. And in that capacity, she has visited 63 indigenous communities across Canada including the James Smith Cree Nation, where 29 stabbings happened, leading to 12 deaths. 
She took four Indigenous women in an RV across Canada all the way to Kamloops Residential School during the summer of 2021, visiting nine reserves along the way, offering prayer and support. Bev is regularly referred to as a friend and an ally by many Indigenous people. She is just a real blessing to everyone that she interacts with, and I have enjoyed getting to know her um, a bit as well um, in my capacity at Crossroads. And so I'm really excited about this interview. Bev, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, Jordan. We've been talking about doing this for a while. So here we are. Here we are, and I'm glad that we are. And so why don't you just give us a quick introduction as to how you ended up in this job, the ambassador to the First Peoples. How did that happen? Well, it's certainly a God calling. I had my own ministry for years. I've traveled the world. I'm working on my fourth book. Um, and God said, close your ministry. I have a new job for you. And I had met David Maines back in 1985. And uh, we'd always had a relationship. <clears throat> I was a, a, um, a once a month host on Nightlight, which ran from 1 to 4.30 in the morning on Friday nights. And uh, so I've always been sort of in sort of intertwined in crossroads. And I've done work in Quebec and in the Indigenous communities for about 40 years, but their DNA is very different. I was speaking in youth groups. I traveled around from community to community, uh, attended a lot of women's conferences. They're, they're Cree and English speaking up all along James Bay and Northern Quebec. And it was only in the, uh, God said, I'm, I've got a new work for you. Hold on, I had no idea what it was. So I was doing some church awareness for crossroads because I am a motivational speaker so I would set up tours and I was going out to Saskatchewan in churches in that province when Onion Lake Log Church reached out to me and said hey why don't I come up to Onion Lake and I had one night off so it was a six-hour drive up there and that opened my eyes the um, the darkness that I felt uh, as I was in the church and ministering to them the heaviness, the depression, the, the dead eyes, the hopelessness hit me like never before. And wow, what's good? This, you hear about these things, but I had never experienced it. And in that time, God really showed me that healing needed to happen and it needed to happen on the basis of relationships. And it started with, I don't need to stay in a hotel just give me a couch and I'll, I want to sleep in your community. I want to be with you. I don't want to be in another town and drive in and minister. This is an opportunity. When I travel, I want to stay in people's homes in other countries. I want to understand your culture. And so they were blown away because they hadn't experienced that. And I said, has anyone ever prayed for your heart uh, before Christopher Columbus came to North America? And they said, no. I said, well, I believe God wants to restore you to before colonization to to bring you forward 500 years, where would you be today if all of these negative things hadn't happened? And in that time of prayer and identification, repentance, uh, forgiveness, and crying with them and hugging, uh, one woman said, nobody in 20 years has ever come to our community to say, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And that empowered them to say, I forgive you, I forgive your ancestors. And God told me, go where you're invited. Don't speak unless you don't give any ideas. Wait on the Holy Spirit and I will show you your next step. And that's how it's gone. And Holy Spirit is always with me. And they need to know that if you're doing church, they figure it out right away. But when they understand 
God, creator God is fall is with this woman. And when she comes into our community, Holy Spirit comes in that community and touches them and they don't want to leave. They don't play church. It's not one hour. And then, uh, you know, it's the Super Bowl. It's come. Holy Spirit is here and pour out on me. And, and that's opened up. Uh, opportunities for true truth and reconciliation based on relationships. Money will never fix them. Even religious acts will not fix them. But true loving relationships, wanting to do life with them, journey with them, being their ally, being their sister, being their brother, and honoring them as keepers of the land, guardians of the land, as the first peoples of this land, and recognizing it in our heart with no agenda, but just reaching out with love and support, transparency. They get it because they're very spiritual beings. And that's how they operate based on relationships. And the doors just kept opening, opening, open. David Baines prayed over me on three o'clock in the morning, uh, April 1st, 2016, as, as the ambassador, which was a name given to me by the Cree people. And it never stopped. We are now connected to 131 communities. But right now I've visited 63 of them. That is unbelievable. That is a lot of travel. And you're saying you're going into people's homes and you're really trying to get to know them. You're not yeah. trying to impose your perspective on them, but rather just to to hear them, to encourage them. And, you know, all of this kind of lines up with our history in Canada uh, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission being completed and that report coming out and the recommendations that came through that. Why don't you talk a little bit about how that commission, about the history of that and how kind of what you're doing kind of relates to to the work that Canada as a whole is, is trying mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. So there's a great little book, called Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action. There's 94 calls to action. A lot of them are totally for the government's responsibility, like providing clean water, providing education. There's church's responsibility. There's the healthcare component. So if we just take the ones of the church, because it's interesting, if, if we try to, you know, offer help or support where there, if government should do it, they say, no, we, we want the government to honor the treaties they sign with our ancestors. And if it's the church, they want the church to step up and say, admit it and say, I am so sorry for what me or my ancestors have done to you. How do we move forward? Will you forgive me? Now, how do we move forward? And there needs to be action. Love always has action. Even if it's to, when I was at James Smith, the uh, Cree Nation, where the stabbings happened, and they invited us to come and do a Christmas party for them because they had no capacity to do anything for their own people. But they knew they needed to do something, especially for the children who are living with the parents that are suffering, still all the horrible images still in their mind. And so we did that Christmas party. And the, the, there was a gentleman from the reserve who wanted to be Santa Claus. And when he came in, he was just down, drab, stolen, put on the Santa Claus. And he was jolly, at putting people on his lap and having pictures, passing out the, the gifts. And it was only at the end of that night, he said, I lost two family members that day on September 4th. I've been in a hotel room since then. I can't go back. I can't, I can't go back into that house where I lost my wife and my son. 
And he said, being Santa Claus and seeing children laugh, he said, it gave me a purpose. As soon as I knew you were coming, that we were coming, he wanted to be the Santa. We bought a brand new Santa Claus suit for him that he could use. And I mean, I was crying that he would want to do this. And he, when he saw the children laugh, then the parents were laughing. And it's so it's tangible love tangible acts of love. So the government has come in and offered $80 million to help with mental wellness, but they really want, and that's good. Don't get me wrong, but people need to be there to love on them, to walk it out with them. That's real truth and reconciliation. So we can do all the things in this book, but there isn't love with it. Like first Corinthians 13, that's what they want. They want love. They don't want to check off a box. They want us to come and see them and love them and laugh with them cry with them walk with them try to understand their brokenness their history and say okay how do we turn it around as followers of our lord jesus that is so good and this is just the gospel in action yes you are doing something very powerful in a specific community but really this is what all believers should be attempting to do with their lives, bringing the truth of the gospel, bringing truth even when hurt has been caused, but also being a part of reconciliation. Earlier in the episode, we were talking about that, you know, justice for those things that have been wronged, but also bringing comfort and encouragement Mm -hmm. to those that have been wronged and finding a way forward together. Like that is, I think, the heart of Jesus. And that's why I was really excited to be able to talk to you because you're doing this in a really practical and tangible way. And I also love that you're talking about being invited, (laughs) right? That everything that you're doing is at an invitation. And there's something powerful about that as well. Why don't you share a little bit about kind of how some of those invitations started to come in? Well, thank God for social media, because that's how it started, because all the Cree across Canada then are connected to social media. So um, when I was in Quebec and then I went to Saskatchewan, that's how Bev's coming to Saskatchewan. I had been in Quebec Cree. And so they reached out and then they hear what's going on. And the word goes out. The world travels. I mean, look at Asbury uh, in the States at the um, college there that a few people stay after a prayer meeting and continue to pray and the Holy Spirit falls and lands on them. And within days, because of social media, people are coming from all over the world to experience a tangible overflowing of Holy Spirit. It's like God filling the temple you can't stand. And that's what people are hungry for. And even the indigenous, when they sense you're, uh, you're sent from God, they want you to come. And I have no agenda other than to come and love on them and hear their dreams And how can we support them in their dreams? It's empowering them to walk out their destiny. It's not me coming in saying, I think this would be the great program for you. It's I just come to love on them, always bring gifts and uh, just love on them and listen and support them. And you will see God open doors. You go in the power of God's Holy Spirit and you will see signs, wonders and miracles. And it honestly is a lot of fun to watch on social media and see the things that you're doing. And so I would encourage everyone to look up first people's voices on uh, on social media and even just look up on the Crossroads website, crossroads.ca, because it is just really neat to be able to follow yeah. 
um, the things that Bev and her team and you've had summer interns um, a couple years in a row and just some of the stories and things. It's just incredible. We don't have time in this conversation to go through it all, but I just love that, like the power of invitation and just being willing and available because you were not the one that did the harm to the communities that you're going into, but in some ways you represent, right? It's your ancestors. It's our ancestors. Yes. And so when we apologize, we're, we recognize that we're not the ones that caused this, but we are taking responsibility for the fact that we can help be part of the solution. Yes. And I just love the fact that what you're doing is a tangible, practical way that we can be part of the solution, but in a humble posture, in a as invited posture, giving dignity back to people whose dignity had been taken away. And I just think that that's a really powerful, powerful thing. And so for those that are listening, that is maybe doesn't know very much about this stuff, maybe you never heard of the calls to action, what would be the kind of that first step that you would encourage someone to take to get to know um, the first peoples of this land and, you know, how they can maybe get involved or pray into these things? It's very simple. Start a relationship. So find the closest indigenous community to you. If there's a church there, I'll find out from the pastor if um, you, you know, could be invited there. Is it open for you? And you bring food, bring, that's the number one gift, bring a gift. So bring food, cheeses, meats, you know, finger things, uh, and just come and love on them and then, and pray for God to open doors because it's all about relationship and it has to be sincere. It can't be just a once a year kind of thing. It's I'm looking, God, send me a community, send me a friend, send me to walk, do life with an indigenous person. Then you can invite them into your home. And I do that all the time. We have people, we have a guest room If they're traveling through Uh, They can stay here. We'll take them to Niagara Falls or what have you. Many of them have never traveled or have never been to places like that or have never been in a non-Indigenous home. Uh, Or have you ever been in theirs? That is so, that is so good. And so thank you, Bev, for coming and being a part of this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jordan. And to our listeners, to stay up to date with all things Way, check out our website, wayniagara.ca or Facebook. And of course, subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next time for our special Easter conversation. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now. 